else can I tell you about? <laughs> Kenilworth's great. Married life is great. Hawaii was great. So the good news is we have you working so we can Okay, so I got to make sure to speak louder. Okay, very good. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the, the, the Lord has these things that he can't say to them. They're on his heart, they're in his thoughts, but he cannot share them with the disciples. And he tells us why, he told them why. Look at verse 13. Um, it says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so the Lord makes reference to the coming of the Spirit of God, called the Spirit of Truth here. And that when he would come, he hadn't come in the way that he would come, but that when he did come, he would guide them into all truth. He would take what was the Lord's and reveal it to them, and uh, the thing, some of the things that the Lord even would have liked to have shared with them that night, the Spirit of God would share with them in a future day. And they needed the Spirit of God. They needed the Spirit of God to understand because he says you can't even bear them now. If I was to tell them to you, you wouldn't be even be able to bear them, uh, to understand them. So but when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into the, the truth. He will guide you into these things. You will understand these things and... It's not said here, but the Lord Jesus probably could have said something like this. You will even write about them. You will write about them. And John is the one recording this. He's the one that records the whole conversation there in the garden. And he hears these words. And he would be one of the ones that would write about the things that the Lord would have shared, would have liked to have shared that night. Especially when the Lord says there, the last part, he says he will, that's the Spirit of God, will tell you things to come. The Spirit of God is going to tell you things to come. And uh, of all the ones that were there that night, of all the disciples that were there, if we think of somebody who sat down and wrote things to come, we probably think of John, don't we? <laughs> we probably think of John. Because John wrote, the book of Revelation. And if there's a book in the New Testament that makes us think of what's to come in the future, uh, we would certainly go to the book of Revelation. So how interesting that John's there this night. He hears these words from the Lord telling about the Spirit coming and that the Spirit will tell them of things to come. And then years later, there's John on an island and he's writing down things to come. And maybe he remembered this conversation. He said, I remember when the Lord, I remember, Lord, when you, you, uh, you told me you told us that the Spirit would come and he would reveal these things to us. And here I am writing them down. They're being revealed to me and I am writing them down. That's what I would like to do both uh, this morning and Lord willing next week is talk a little bit about things to come. And I know that you just did dispensations and there was a, a measure to which you talked about some things to come. Uh, we're going to focus uh, on a section of scripture that I think we probably, I don't know, I don't hear too often, um, so I'm hoping it'll be kind of very interesting. Hopefully the scripture's always interesting, but uh, very interesting because maybe it's the t part of the future that we don't think too much about. Don't imagine often enough. Um, and here's one of the benefits that if, if we put our 
thoughts to this, our imagination to this, and we let the word of the Lord sink down into our hearts. It could be very beneficial to us. I love what Paul, it's one of my favorite prayers to make uh, Paul in the book of Romans, I think it is. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you unpack that a little bit and you realize what's being said there, that the Christian can just be filled to the top, just filled all the way to the top within with joy and with peace. That sounds really nice, to be filled with joy and peace. And it comes in connection with believing. So as we hear the word of God, as we, as we meditate and learn what it is that God has revealed to us, and we believe it, we believe it, it there's this opportunity to just, just be filled with joy, to be filled with peace. And then what's that other thing? To abound. In hope. In hope. You know, we, we often think about hope. It's things that are ahead of us, things to look forward to. And boy, is there some stuff to look forward to. <laughs> there are some wonderful things that have been revealed to us that we are to be looking forward to. And if we believe those things, like this morning and next week, if we hear those things and we believe those things, there's an opportunity for us to be filled with joy and peace and hope, and even hope, what does it say? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And you just think about that, that it's not just a hope, this confident expectation that we're kind of manufacturing within ourselves. It's not something that we just kind of even just try to do. There's, we ought to try, but it's the, 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 the power is the Holy Spirit which dwells indwells the believer. And by his power, divine power, there's such a hope that we can have, such a hope that uh, it's a lot easier to make it through this world <laughs> when you're walking through it with hope. It's a lot easier to make it through this world when you're walking through filled with joy and peace. But it comes with believing. And unless the Christian believes the word of God, these things are going to be elusive. But hopefully we will. Hopefully we will believe those things. So how does the story end? Um, how does the book, the Bible, how's the book finish? If we have been told things to come, what is it that's coming? And what is the end of the story? Now, I know I already mentioned a book, but before you go there, go to Ephesians chapter 2. There's just little... Uh, glimpse here of what's to come. And I just want to go here as a sample. There are numerous places I'm sure you could find in the Bible with these little glimpses, little snippets, details about a future day. And as we contemplate what it is that we're being told and we believe it, uh, boy, it's just uh, the effect that it can have on us. The effect that it can have on us is tremendous. Ephesians chapter 2 and um, uh, I, I was going to just read verse 7, but I guess we should start at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Yeah, I'm sorry, just like uh, just thinking of a young man I, I've been talking to this week. Uh, he's having a crisis of faith. and 
the importance of believing what God has said, that he loves us, his great love with which he loved us. How sad for the Christian to question whether God loves him or her. It's true, and if we believe it, how much that benefits us. Verse 5, even when we were dead and trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now there's something to mix with faith in our hearts, (laughs) that at the same time that we are here in this room, as we're in Brantford, Connecticut, there's a sense in which we are sitting together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's true right now. But this is the verse, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's a glimpse into what's to come. Maybe we'll want more details than this. Maybe what, like, can you, like, come on, let's get specific. But just take it for what it is because it is a treasure of a truth to just embrace in the ages to come. Now, I'm going to make a case. I, I could go a little bit more than I'm going to, but that ages like, a, it's like um, an age has a beginning and it has an end. And after that age, it's, we could maybe say dispensation. After that age finishes, you got another age that starts and then that finishes, and then another age that starts and finishes. Well, this says in the ages to come, and I think you can make a good case that what we call the eternal state might actually be just uh, filled with ages, just filled with ages that are just going to roll. And the thing that it, it excites me about is you say, what in the world is God going to do? <laughs> I mean, what has he got planned in his mind throughout the eternities of eternities? What things are going to start and finish and then something else? He says, I'm going to do this now. And he starts something and finishes that. And then he says, I'm going to do this now. But in all the ages, however many they are, even if there's only two more ages to come and the last one be in the eternal state, what's he going to do? He's going to show the exceeding riches He's going to show them. He's not going to hide them, keep them. He's going to put them on display, exceeding riches. Not We're not talking about gold and silver and gems. The exceeding riches of his grace, and we know what grace is. It's just a gift. It's just unmerited favor. It, it, it's <laughs> just the, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And everything, all of this is all connected to Christ Jesus. I mean, if you have Christ Jesus, well, you got it, brother, sister. <laughs> you got it. If you have Christ Jesus and you're in Christ Jesus, well, you have to be if you're a Christian. That's just what you are. Then you've got it. You're set. You are set for eternity. And what God has in mind to do is just throughout the ages, however many there are, as they just roll along one after the other, He's going to put on display these riches, these exceeding riches. He's going to put them on display towards us in his kindness, towards us in Christ Jesus. So here's just a bit of a glimpse of what's to come. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. Imagine the kindnesses. Imagine the grace that we are going to see. Um, Yeah, The things that we're going to look at... uh, this morning and next week, you just say, wow, can I even imagine some of these things? Um, I had, on that whole uh, 
concept of ages. There's a song we sing. Um, some guy named initials J and D, maybe you heard of that guy. He says uh, in the song, it says, O Jesus, Lord, who loved me like to thee, fruit of thy work with thee to there to see thy glory, Lord, while endless ages roll, myself the prize and travel of thy soul. Beautiful words. But even there, the idea that just endless ages, however many there are, it's just going to keep on going. And as we enter into eternity, we can expect that this verse is just going to continue to be true. And it's going to thrill us. <laughs> it's going to thrill us to see the kindnesses that are going to be put on display towards us. But of course, if we really want to see how the book ends, how the story ends, we do well to turn to Revelation chapter 22. I mean, that is the last chapter of the book, right? That is the last chapter of the book. And uh, I have come to find out that there are other people who are like Michelle in this, so maybe there will be here this morning. But uh, I learned something I'd never heard of before, but Michelle had told me that when she would read a book, uh, before she started it, she would read the end of it. Because she wanted to know if it was whether it was worth reading the whole thing. So <laughs> some people are like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, so uh, she would read the end of it, and if it's good, she's like, okay, I'll read the whole book. So I'm thinking maybe there's some of us here who haven't read the Bible yet. Possible? Maybe even just because of age, you haven't read the whole Bible yet. Well, we're going to look at the ending. If you like the ending, maybe you'll say, oh, okay, the ending's pretty good. I'll read the whole book. <laughs> so maybe that would be one of the benefits that comes from this. And I've probably said this here before, I, I've taken up uh, the torch on this from a uh, dear brother who's now with the Lord, had a very deep impact on my life, and how many times I've heard him say this. So I'm just doing the same thing. He's in glory, I'm just going to continue. So he would say about, uh, he'd have us turn, to, it was almost always a minor prophet, and he would say, you know, turn to uh, Nahum. And, uh, you know, it takes a half hour for everyone to get there. But then we finally are all there, and he says, now you know, you're going to meet Nahum in heaven. And he's going to ask you, how'd you like my book? <laughs> so you better have read me. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. And, and then I realized, though, there's something even more intense than that when the Lord Jesus comes up to you and says, how'd you like my book? Now he's talking about the whole thing, right? Yeah, you want to say something other than I never got around to reading it. So hopefully uh, it's just something that we've done. Yes, I do it. I'm telling you, just do it. The genealogies, just do it. Maybe for that, you grab the King James because the King James gives you the hyphens and where the accent goes and you can kind of have fun trying to pronounce them. It makes the genealogies a little more fun <laughs> as you try to pronounce them out loud. But read the whole thing and, um, you know, the Lord may ask you one day. <laughs> but uh, maybe the end of the story will make a difference. Uh, and Revelation chapter 22 is, is where the story ends. However, we're not going to get to the end of the story till next week. And I want to tell you, and maybe you'll be mad at me for this, but because I'm not going to tell it to you till next week, but the story doesn't actually end on chapter 22, verse 20 and 21. Those are the last verses of our Bible. So that's where the book ends, but where does the story end? Well, the story ends a little bit before that, and maybe I'll give you, uh, some of you might get a hint from this because some Bibles actually in chapter 22, they will have a heading over a part that says epilogue. 
epilogue. It always makes me think of Star Trek, right? <laughs> um, epilogue, and you've got a portion of it where the story is ended, but John, really, Jesus, has more things to say. And so he says those things, and then the book of Revelation, the book, the Bible, is finished. So the story ends a little bit before verses 20 and 21, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. But what I'd like to do is really focus in on chapter 21. That's what I'd like to lead up up to the end of the story by focusing on chapter 21. And uh, uh, I'd like to, I know you probably all know this, um, but if you'll allow me, I uh, don't know how much you've gone into this, uh, how recently, um, and so many of you know this, but for those who don't, just those who do know this, bear with me as I do this, because it might really benefit those who don't know. I'd like to just do a quick overview, hopefully quick overview, um, of the things that are to come that we are expecting next all the way up until chapter 21. All right, so let's just kind of like look ahead and view things from this point out. What is it that's to come? What are the next things leading up to chapter 21 that are going to come? To do this now, this may be more of a technical thing than most people care to hear, but people have different opinions about Revelation, okay? People have different opinions about what's to come. Christians have different opinions about it. So uh, you might come across that. What I'm sure is believed here, um, what I believe is we take what is called a more literalistic approach, a more literalistic approach to the scriptures. And so we believe it that when uh, it says uh, Christ reigned for a thousand years, we take that literally that there really is a thousand years. And some Christians will take that figuratively. And so they won't be looking for that actually to take place, or they might think it's already taking place. And there's going to be differences of opinions about that. I'd like to give you two quotes to help with that. Um, these come, I, actually, I can't remember the book now. It's either uh, Ryrie's, uh, um, what is it? In, uh, introduction to the premillennial faith, or it might be Things to Come. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. There's a book called Things to Come. It's a really big book. It's like 500 pages or something. It took me years to get through because it's just, there's so much content in it. And it's all about future things. And the author called it Things to Come. Very appropriate. That's what the, the, the phrase there that the Lord spoke to his disciples, that when the Spirit would come, he would show you things to come. So some guy, he said, I'm going to write a book about things to come. What should I call it? Oh, I'll call it things to come. <laughs> and so that's what he did. And so this quote is either from that or from that other book I mentioned, uh, these two quotes, and it's this. The use of allegories in the Bible is not a justification for the allegorical method of interpretation of the Bible. So just because there's allegories and stories and illustrations in the Bible, we recognize that. But that doesn't mean that we take that and interpret the Bible generally that way. And this next quote, the literalistic approach, as opposed to the allegorical approach, does not blindly rule out figures of speech, symbols, allegories, and types. So that's true. So I don't when we say that we generally interpret the scriptures literally, we do understand that there are, like the author said, figures of speech, symbols, allegories, types, parables, things like that. So we don't take every single word literally. 
we understand that there are things like that being used. All right, so what's next? What's next on the agenda? Um, <laughs> it's just tough because I, I, I just want to tell you that Christians don't all agree about this, okay? And, but I'm convinced, absolutely, I, I don't know what it would take to move me from this position. I don't know because I just see the evidence just building up over the years, just building up uh, to the point where I'm just like, I, I don't know what it would take to move me away from this position. But, and I'm sure most of us here are probably in this position, that the next big event that we're waiting for is the catching up of the church. That's what we call the rapture, the rapture. And uh, that could happen at any moment. Uh, well, there's a difference of opinion on that too, but we believe that it could happen at any moment. I mean, the church in Thessalonica, they turned from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. First century, Christians are waiting for Jesus to come, first century. And it's been that way ever since. He could come at any time. He could come before my next word and catch us up. This is the church. The church had a beginning. Uh, typically, we understand the church began at Pentecost, and one day it's going to finish. It's going to be done. I like a little bit of this illustration. Uh, the, the scriptures talk about the church as a building. And a building has a start, it has a foundation, it gets built up, but then there's a day when it's done. And we are living stones being placed into this building. We're going to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. That's the church, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And eventually that building is going to be complete, and the Lord is going to catch us up. We're also known as the Bride of Christ, and so the day is coming when the Lord is going to come get his bride, and he's going to catch us up to meet him in the air. Um... After that, what happens? Well, there's some things going on in heaven, like a marriage and stuff. Uh, uh, but on earth here, what's going to happen here on earth? After the church is raptured, uh, there may be a little bit of lapse of time. I know growing up, I kind of always just uh, assumed, presumed, uh, maybe those who taught did too, uh, that the next big event happens immediately after the catching up of the church. But... I'm starting to think that there's a possibility that some time might elapse, not much, but perhaps some might elapse between the catching up of the church and what we call the tribulation. The tribulation. Um, seven years. Uh, it's not to go into too much detail, but you know, someone has said if you want to understand prophecy, you have to know Daniel's 77s or 70 weeks. 490 years, Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was told, and he was shown things to come. 490 years, he was said, here's, here's a timeline. And here's what's going to happen in that timeline, 490 years. Well, 400, I think, and 83 years of that 490, guess what? They're already done. They're already done. 69 of those sevens, and we call them weeks, 69 of those weeks have already passed. We have one week, and I, I hesitate to say week because people will think it's seven days. It's not seven days. It's called a week. I'm not sure why it's called a week, just because it's seven. But it's, it's a period of something made up of seven, seven of them. So if I had a, a 
paper sack and I said, hey, there's a dozen in here. You say, well, a dozen of what? You got a dozen bagels in there, a dozen donuts? Uh, what do you got a dozen? A dozen eggs? So you have to clarify what the dozen means. Well, that's with Daniel. It's the sevens. Well, seven of what? It's seven of years. And so 69 of those sevens have passed. The things have been fulfilled. You have one seven left. And that's what we commonly call the tribulation. And that's what a lot of the book of Revelation is about. In fact, a lot of it is about what's called the great tribulation. The great tribulation and it's, I mean, is this really the truly appropriate time to kind of say it's like, well, no, it's, I don't think it is appropriate to say that. I was going to say hell on earth, but it's the righteous judgment of God being poured out on the world. And the book of Revelation will tell us about things that it's just hard to imagine It's hard to imagine a third of everything in the sea dying. It's hard to imagine a third of the earth being burned up. It's hard to imagine the moon turning to blood and the sun being darkened. It's hard to imagine these uh, locust-like creatures that come out of the bottomless pit and their sting is like the sting of a scorpion and they have the power to to torment men on the earth. These hailstones, like huge hailstones come down and people are just cursing God because of it. All this stuff that's going to happen. I remember being with some young people up at uh, camp and asking them what they want to do that week for, for our devotional time. And a lot of them wanted to do Revelation. And there was this one girl, and she was like pleading. She's like, please, like, can we not do Revelation? And so everyone else wanted to. So I'm like, well, all right, well, we'll start it. But if it's just too much for you, we'll, we'll choose something else. And I just, uh, I don't, I can't remember how far into it, 10 minutes. And she, I look over and she's got tears running down her eyes. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll find something else to do. It's just too much. And it's, it's, a, it's an intense book. It speaks a lot about terrifying things taking place on the earth. It's going to be an earthquake unlike any other earthquake that's ever taken place on this planet. And the mountains are going to be shaken. Uh, the islands are going to run away. Um, I mentioned a third of everything in the sea dying. Well, it gets worse because the scriptures tell us that, I mean, it's just hard to believe, but everything in the sea is going to die. Everything. The rivers are going to be turned to blood. It's just like, it's God's wrath being poured out. And instead of people repenting, what characterizes mankind is that they hate God, they curse God, and uh, when they get an opportunity... They're going to gather together in armies. And this leads us to our next big event. They're going to gather together in armies, and at the head of it is going to be the Antichrist, the beast. He's going to gather together the armies of the earth, and the heavens are going to open, and the Lord is going to appear. He's going to appear on a white horse, and he's going to have the armies of heaven following him. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He's got many crowns on his head. He's got a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I think we know who that is. He's got a name written on him. It's written on his robe and on his thigh, and it's king of kings, lord of lords, and he is coming to make war. He is riding on a horse. He's not riding on a donkey. He's riding on a horse. He's coming in power. He's coming in glory. And the armies of earth have gathered together, and they want to fight him. They want to fight him. 
I don't think they're going to want to fight him for very long once they see him. But that's their intention. They say, in so many words, it seems like the scriptures are kind of saying this, that the world, the inhabitants of the world are like, we, we want this planet for ourselves. We want this planet for ourselves. You can't have it. Are you coming to get it? This is your inheritance? That's what Psalm 2 says. That, the, that, that God says to the Son, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. <laughs> That's your portion, the ends of the earth. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. So the Lord is coming to take what is his. And the armies of earth are like, oh no, you're not taking this. We want this for ourselves. And so there's going to be a fight. Not going to be much of a fight. Not going to be much. I mean, it's a pretty epic scene that you develop there in Revelation chapter 19. One of the most epic scenes in all of scripture. And you're kind of waiting to see how things are going to unfold. And John just says, and the beast and the false prophet are captured. And you're like, wait, but how did it happen? <laughs> how did this go down? And later on it tells us in that chapter, it says, and the armies, all of them that were gathered together, they were all slain with the sword that came from the mouth of him who rode on the horse. And that's the Lord. And the battle will be over before it begins. And then what happens? Well, Jesus is coming to earth again. He's going to be here again. And his enemy, our enemy, the devil, Satan, what's he called there? The dragon, that serpent of old, takes you back to the Garden of Eden, that serpent of old who deceived Eve. What happens with him? Well, I'd suggest to you that the Lord just, just the Lord can do this. You know, he can give strength, he can take strength away. And he just takes away Satan's strength so that one angel just goes down, binds him up with a chain. One angel goes down, binds up the great Satan, the great dragon, binds him up with a chain, throws him into a bottomless pit. And I, I, the idea of a bottomless pit, can you picture it? Satan is bound up and he's just falling, falling. He just keeps falling. I, I mean, absolutely, I, I don't know. For, it sounds terrifying. Just falling. And for how long? For a thousand years. For a thousand years. That's where Satan is. What's happening on earth? The Lord Jesus Christ is here and he is reigning. You know the prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. On earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ is bringing his kingdom here and he is going to sit on a throne. In fact, it's the throne of David. That's what the angel Gabriel told Mary. You're going to have a son. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the highest. And God is going to give him the throne of his father David. And over the house of Jacob, he will reign. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to literally happen. Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to set up his kingdom here. And the devil is going to be put away. And it's going to be a time the prophets talk about. That's where the passage comes about the wolf and the lamb lying down together. What a picture. Peace. The wolf and the lamb together? I was at my sister's farm. I was a little surprised that bunnies and cats are out together, out <laughs> roaming about the farm. Uh, but <laughs> maybe the you know cats are kind of mild. I don't know. But in a future day, you've got wolves and lambs. You've, uh, you've got, uh, I know we usually mix this up, but it's lions and calves lying next to each other. And the little child is putting his hand in the viper's den. <laughs> you know, things are different. And they shall not hurt on all my holy mountain, 
says the Lord, says the prophets. And the Lord is going to reign with a rod of iron. He is going to rule over the nations. And it's going to be a time of peace. Do you know that the, the Psalms talk about how the ground, and the, the fields and the seas and the mountains, the hills, they're all so happy. They are so happy and they're personified and they're singing and they're clapping their hands. Why, why is everybody so happy? Why is the world so happy? The physical world. Why is the physical world so happy? Because Christ is coming <laughs> and he's coming to judge the world. And when he's here, there's going to be peace. There's going to be law. There's going to be righteousness. What does it say where righteousness reigns? Reigns. And the earth is going to be so happy. We have drunk so much blood. Finally. So much immorality. Finally. We are free from that. Christ is here. He's reigning. And this is a place of peace and righteousness. You remember how um, the Lord told uh, the children of Israel when they went into the land of Canaan, he said to them, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really not giving you this land because, you know, of your, because you're you know, a bunch of good people. I'm giving it because the wickedness of the people in the land is so great. And he gave us this picture there. It says the land, what? Vomited them out, threw them up. The land itself, the land of Canaan couldn't, bear them anymore and so it just vomited them out and you got this idea in scripture of like again the hills and the seas and they're just waiting for the lord to come please come so that this immorality this bloodshed we no longer have to experience it upon us and so it's going to be a beautiful time it's going to be a wonderful time when the lord is reigning you're going to be able to go and see christ personally and hear him teach but there's going to be people that are going to be born. And I know some. sometimes you're like, wait, people are going to be born in the millennium? That's what we call this, those thousand years, the millennium. People are going to be born then? Wait, there's going to be sin then? There's going to be death then? Yep, yep. It's not the next phase. That's what we're going to get to in chapter 21. This is a little before that. There's going to be sin and there's going to be death. There's going to be a rebellion. And there are people on the earth, and it's interesting that the scripture would talk about how they're in the four corners. You're like, the earth doesn't have four corners. It's round. Um, well, four corners probably means north, south, east, west, right? And corner meaning like, like if I wanted to you know, get away from the one who's in the center of the room, I'm going to go to the corner of the room to get away. And maybe that's part of the imagery there. You have these people who have they've gone away from where the Lord is, and they are as far away from him as they can be. And in their hearts... They hate him. And in their hearts, they want to rebel against him. They don't like his reign. They want to throw off his rule, but they're scared to. And they dare not do it. They dare not do it. They've seen what happened to other people. Man, if we, remember that time we didn't go and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? We didn't get rain that year. <laughs> so, you know, these people are going to be kept in place by this rule of Christ. And thankfully, it'll be a good thing. But in their hearts, if they just had an opportunity, they just had a leader, oh, they would rebel. God is so genius. He's so brilliant because, think about this, he's got this world he's reigning over, and he's got these rebels in it. 
these rebels are all scattered in the midst of his kingdom over the whole earth and the nations. These rebels, like, how is he going to, the word purge comes to mind. How is he going to purge them out? They're all over the place, scattered, mostly in the four corners, away from him, maybe, is the idea. How is he going to get them out? He's so genius. So he says, I'm going to release Satan. Take Satan out of the bottomless pit. Go ahead, Satan. What do you want to do? Oh, he's ready to do it. Goes out to the four corners, and he deceives the nations. He gathers all the rebels up. He gathers them all together. (laughs) And I'm like, sometimes I really think, like, is Satan listening to this right now? Like, he's like, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. Well, he's going to do it. He's going to do that. He's going to gather all the rebels up into one place. It's very convenient. Just gather them all out of the kingdom. He will lead them, and he will bring them against Jerusalem and against the saints. An army, it's hard to believe. An army so big, it's like the sand on the seashore at the end of the millennium. Um, I remember watching this. This is just terrifying. Um, um, let me give his name. David Horowitz, maybe? Yeah, he was giving a speech at a college in um, California, and there was someone from the MSA there, a student from the MSA, the Muslim Student Muslim Students Association. And uh, she was questioning him about things, and uh, he's Jewish. And uh, he was trying to get her to reveal really what they're all about. But she was, he said, will you condemn Hezbollah uh, as a genocidal organization? Um, What's the other one? Hezbollah and uh, uh, ISIS. It wasn't ISIS. I forget the other one. But um, Hamas. Yeah, Hamas, yes. Uh, Will you condemn Hezbollah and Hamas? And she wouldn't do it. She said, I'll be in trouble with Homeland Security if I say either way. And uh, so he tried to pin her down and said, all right, the head of Hezbollah has said that he would have all the Jews gather in Jerusalem so that he wouldn't have to hunt them down globally. That's, that's kind of what's going to happen here. The Lord is going to use Satan to gather up, he, gather them all into one place. He's going to pull them all together to fight in one place and rid the world of them. Um, as far as that story goes with this student, uh, he says, because she, she just wouldn't be pinned down, so he gave that example. He said, for or against? And she leaned into the microphone and said, for it. So she was for it. She was for the same thing that the head of Hezbollah was, to gather all the Jews in one place so that you wouldn't have to hunt them down globally. You could just take care of them in one place. And maybe maybe there's a little bit of a hint as to how the temple is going to be rebuilt. I don't know. Somehow there's going to be some kind of idea that if we let them rebuild the temple, they will all come. And then we can destroy them. I don't know. That's just complete speculation. But it's interesting. How are they going to rebuild the temple, the Jewish temple there? Anyways. Um, so then what happens? The army marches against Jerusalem. Fire comes down out of heaven and uh, consumes the entire army. And that's it. That's the end of it. And that's the end of the millennium. A thousand years are over. Then what's the next big thing that happens? It's right before this in chapter 20. Um, very sobering scene. You know, I'm doing a lot of these. These things are kind of serious, heavy scenes to depict. 
next week, maybe we'll, we'll get, what, what time am I going to? Do I have like two minutes or 17 minutes? Because I, <laughs> I have two minutes, okay. <laughs> I have two minutes, so we'll have to wait. So there's like, when we get to chapter 21, there's like a lot of cheerful, wonderful, beautiful things. And this, a, a lot of what's leading up to it is not so much so. But uh, the last event that we have recorded for us before chapter 21 is something that's called the Great White Throne. And we know who's sitting on that throne. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the dead that have not been raised yet, this is the second resurrection, the resurrection to judgment. And all the dead are coming out of the sea, they're coming out of the earth, they're Hades, is giving up the dead that's in them, it's in, in it, and they're all appearing before this throne. And uh, the books are all open. There's a lot of books in heaven. They're all open because everything's being recorded. Um, everything. Every sin. It's all been recorded. And all those books are going to be open. Every, every even little thing. Like if it's a sin, I, I, maybe it's just silly, but Michelle and I were driving one place and some guy uh, cut in to the traffic where he shouldn't have been. I said to her, well, that's being recorded. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's intense to think about the books that are being written, and these books are going to be opened. And it says that everyone that's there, it's going to be, they're going to be judged by the things written in those books. And what's going to happen? Every single time, the person that's being judged by the things written in the books, the verdict is going to be guilty. Guilty. It's not a place where you want to hear that verdict, guilty. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. And there will be a a clarity to that. It will ring like a bell on that day that there is no one who can be justified before that throne by their works. So it will be guilty. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they're going to check another book, right? amazing. I don't quite understand that, but they're going to check another book. It's called the Book of Life. They're going to say, is the name written in that, in that book? And anyone whose name was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's separation from God. It's called the second death. The first death is the separation of the body and the spirit. They separate Death is about separation. The body and the spirit are separate when we die. And in the second death, the person is separated from God forever and tormented too in a place called the lake of fire. I submit to you, God didn't even make that for people. It says that it's a place that was created for the devil and his angels. God wants to be with people. God wants to save people. God is working in the lives of people today that they might come to him, that they might bow the knee to him, that they might repent of their sin and seek forgiveness. He's at work today in every place to bring that about. He does not want people to be separated from him. He wants people to be with him. And that's why he gave us his son. I mean, what other expression could there possibly be greater than that, that God loves people, that God is love? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not death. 
life. That's how you get your name written in the book of life, because you are in Christ, and he is our life. Well, we'll pick up on chapter 21 next time, but let me just uh, leave you with one thing here as we close. Just look at that uh, first verse. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there is no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Kind of like that idea. It wasn't that long ago that there was a, a bride adorned watching her come towards me. You know, beauty and joy. And this is a day, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about this next week. Wait till you hear about this city. I got things to tell you about this city that are just spectacular. It's just like so enjoyable to think about this city that's coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. What is that all about? Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Why don't we pray? My gracious God and our Father, we... uh, we uh, just are humbled that uh, that you have revealed these things to us. You, you would have us to know what is to come. You've given us your spirit, and your spirit has revealed these things, particularly to John. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, reading about them, considering them, trying to imagine them, wondering at them, these things that are to come. And you have revealed them to us. You have made them known. You could have kept them secret. We know, Father, there's a place in the scriptures, in the Revelation, where John heard the thunders utter their voice, and he was told, don't write that down. And we realize there's many things that were not told, many things that are not revealed. But the things that we were talking about this morning, many of those things are right in the scriptures. They've been revealed to us, and we are to know those things. We are your people. And in a certain way, it's like we're all prophets here this morning because we're all looking down into the future to see what's to come, and we're able to see it. Because of your word, because of your spirit, we can see the things that are to come. And next week, I pray that you just bless us as we consider the wonder of this next chapter and the way the story ends. It's so wonderful, so magnificent. And we want to just be filled with hope and joy and peace as we believe these things. Because life is pretty hard. And yet your people are meant to walk through it in a different way than the rest of the world. And so we pray that we would just... Reap all the benefit that's to come from you revealing these things to us. So we love you, and Lord Jesus, we realize part of what's to come is you coming, and we realize that you could come even today. May we be looking for it, may we be ready for it, because you could come today. We love you, and uh, we look forward to that, and we give thanks in your name. Amen.